He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ralph. That's a good reading. What a rich passage, eh? Yeah. How many of you this week had a chance to read that passage on your own just to have a show of hands? Okay, good. Anything that stood out to you as you read that? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot, but um, does anyone feel comfortable sharing something in particular that stood out that as you read that text? Bonita. In him, all things are held together. Good. Now, why did that stand out to you? Yeah, that's right. We're going to talk about that today. Sure. Yeah. Yep, we're going to definitely talk about that today. Anyone else? Ralph. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what Ralph was just saying is sometimes we can imagine Jesus sort of life, as it were, beginning at his incarnation, right? Um, And that's when the eternal son of man, who's before all of that, took on flesh. But what Ralph is saying is even prior to that, the son existed in eternity, which is which is really good, um, yeah. It's interesting. Anyone else? Joy, we'll get right to you. Yeah, that's actually good, Joy. I haven't thought about that. So Joy was saying he is the image of the invisible God. So we're not grasping for air, right? We're not, we, do you remember the first week when I said our faith has to land somewhere? We don't have, we don't have blind faith. It's sort of like Indiana Jones steps out and hopes that something's there. If it's true faith, it has to be in a person, none other than Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. That's good joy. Okay, yeah, so, 
just saying there's things that are visible, things that we see, things that are invisible. And though that we don't see them, they're, they're true to reality, I guess, even if we don't see them visibly. Yeah. One, I'll have time for one last more, and then we can jump into it. Jeanette. Very good, yeah. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Why did why did you like the way that sounds or what? Yeah. Because this is God Yeah. Yeah, so what Jeanette is saying is, you know, the second person of the Godhead, the Son, all the fullness of God dwells in him. It's interesting, last week when we left off, how it says the Father transferred us from the dominion of darkness, right, to the kingdom of light in his beloved Son. And then now it's like, now let me show you who that Son is. He is is the image of the invisible God. Firstborn of all creation. Bang, 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 bang. Very cool. Good. Very good. You know, honestly, though, as I studied these five verses this week, I felt like I was trying to swallow a mountain. I mean, how, how do you even begin to break down so much breadth and depth in a text like this, right? And so I was thinking about it it's this morning, it's going to be like flying over a mountain range in a helicopter tour, right? We can't sort of see every single rock and leaf that's there. But what we can do is fly over this mountain range and I can be like a helicopter tour guide and say, and if you look out your left window and I'm going to point out to you certain spots that are critical to see, and then we'll fly over to the other side of the mountain range and Hopefully you'll have a better view of it. So here's two things I want to flag for you as we get into our helicopter. First point that I'm going to drive today is that Jesus, Jesus is supreme over all creation. And that's in the first few verses. You see that there, verse 15 to 17? Jesus is supreme over all creation. Second thing I want to flag is that Jesus is supreme over the new creation. And that's in verses 18 to 20. You know, a few weeks ago when we were, began studying this book together, I said that Colossians is Christ-centered. That is, Jesus is the centerpiece of this book. It seems that every sentence you read and every page you turn, the letter just oozes truth. It just drips truth about who Christ is. He is all sufficient. He is Lord of all. He is supreme. He is supreme. I almost entitled this series, I call it the all-sufficient Christ, but I was tempted to call it Jesus the Supreme One. And as I said, it sounds more like you're ordering a pizza. But Today's title is The Supremacy of Christ, because it's there, is it not? And that truth really comes to the forefront in this text, where we have 
one of the most exalted depictions of Christ in the New Testament. Now, some believe these five verses, what Paul's doing is he's quoting a well-known hymn or a poem or perhaps even a creed of that day. Others think that he composed this himself to actually combat some of the false teachers. But no matter how you slice that, the reality of who Jesus is jumps right off the pages. He is sovereign Lord over all creation and over the new creation. Or to say it another way, he is head over the creation and head of the church. A lot of good stuff to cover. And I pray that the Lord would minister to you and give you a greater picture of who he is this morning as we look to his word together. But before we do that, let's, let's look to him now as a church in prayer, shall we? Father, we come to you this morning acknowledging that this is your word, but our hearts come to you right now in different conditions. Some cold, some wounded, some distracted, some disinterested, some under conviction, some in need of comfort, some in need of instruction. Lord, we could go on, but you know us better than we know ourselves. So we ask that by your spirit, you'd minister your word to each of us in whatever condition we're in. Draw us to yourself. Quench the spiritual thirst in each of us. Open our eyes that we might see wonderful truth from your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first point that we look at here, that Jesus is supreme over all creation, you might be tempted at nine o'clock on a cold winter morning to sort of check out at that point. And the reason I say that is because at first sight, it doesn't perhaps seem all that relevant to your own personal life. Jesus is sovereign over all creation. That sounds kind of abstract, and I know that the pastor is really jazzed up about it, and I guess I'm supposed to be kind of excited about it because the person to my left is excited about it. So don't worry, Ross isn't offended. He's not leaving because of that. You know, so I guess that, um, I, I guess it's exciting. I don't know. Jesus is sovereign over all creation, and at some point the pastor's going to start waving his hands around, but how is this relevant? How, how does this have any sort of like bearing on my life today, now? Well, if Jesus is not sovereign over all creation, if he's not what, say, verses 15 to 17 claim that he is, we might as well give it up, pack it in, and go home. Because if Jesus is not divine, he cannot release us from the powers of darkness. He cannot free us from sin. He cannot save you. So listen, Jesus is the Lord of the creation, and don't miss how this whole thing kicks off. He is, as Joy just noted, the image of the invisible God. Sit on that for a moment. There is so much theology underneath that one little sentence. He is the image of the invisible God. See, all humans are created in the image of God. 
That's why as Christians, those who believe the Bible, we value life and human life, and all life is precious. All humans are created in the image of God, and that is true. We know that from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, and so on. However, that's not what Paul's really on about here. While we bear God's image, we are mere mortals, right? But Jesus is an exact representation of God. He, in him, all the fullness was pleased to dwell. And then it says, notice in the text, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? The firstborn of all creation. Well, it's important that we read this phrase, word, however you want to say it, this firstborn of all creation, not in, say, a 21st century lens, but actually in a first century Greek lens with a Jewish background. Because... The language of firstborn means supremacy or rank. Uh, the firstborn child in that day was predominant, who received the inheritance. Don't know if you study much history, but in England, in say the 16th and 17th century, if you had three sons, the first received the estate. The second became a soldier. The third didn't know what to do, so he became a pastor, right? Which gives you a good sneak peek into why churches became so dreadful back then. So firstborn simply is a metaphor for the one who is most prominent, the one who is superior. In the royal family, when the Queen of England passes, her powers will go to Prince Charles. But I'm beginning to wonder if she's ever going to pass and she'll outlive her son. Who knows? But you get the idea. It's interesting, modern, some modern translation, Holman Christian Standard, I think the TNIV, the NIV, the Net Bible will say he is the firstborn over all creation. I like that. I think that's helpful. He's the firstborn over all. That doesn't actually say that who pair, would have, it'd have to say in Greek, have, he'd have to actually insert who pair, but it just says he's firstborn on all, all creation. He's, over, he's all, over all creation, I guess. But I think it's really helpful. Now, let's see how this develops in verse 16. So in verse 16, he says, right? He just said he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all all or creation, right? For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus, so, so when we ask this, when we say this, okay, how is it that Jesus is supreme over all creation? It's because... He is the agent of creation. The agent of creation. 
Christ is the one in whom all things were created, the entire cosmos. Just think, once, there once was a time, if you can call it time, when none of this was here. No earth, no stars, no solar system, nothing. Absolutely nothing. But Jesus was there with the Father. He existed before the first beam of light, the first drop of water, the first grain of sand, the first blade of grass, the first man and woman. Before anything was, he was there. And then simply by speaking words, he made the entire universe that exists. Can, can you see how all-encompassing verse 16 is? You see that? Things in heaven, things on earth, things we see, even stuff we don't see. Jesus is the one through whom all things were created. And by the way, not just the material universe, the visible world. He also created the spiritual world, the entire angelic realm. If you just ponder that for a moment. Angels, demons, wouldn't exist without him. He made them. He is Lord of all because he is creator of all. As Ephesians 1.21 argues, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He is the agent of creation. Have you ever witnessed an incredible sunrise or sunset that just took your breath away? Or have you ever walked along Gosford waterfront? One of those days and there's little streaks in the clouds. Water's just shimmering. Jesus says, I created that. I created everything that exists. You know, years ago, I was traveling on the Great Ocean Road in a tour bus. I don't know if you've been seen or visited the Great Ocean Road before. It's, there's just some marvelous, beautiful sights. And it, it quite shocked me because the tour bus driver, as he was just, and check this out, the 12 apostles are over here and look at this over there. And he starts looking at these rocks and, and he goes, it's amazing. He launches into all of these theories of evolution. But I know why that he's doing that. Because, because when people observe something phenomenal in creation, they crave answers, don't they? Typically. I know when I was a kid, I just thought about myself, right? And my parents said, look at that, whatever. But the older you get and the more you think about, why am I here? What is all this? You want, where, where did all this come from? Who, if, what, or how, or did all of this come into being? And that's what the bus driver was doing. He was just trying to understand, where's all this come from? He wanted answers. And you know, when you open up the pages of scripture, specifically here, the Bible says Jesus is the one who created all things. He is the agent in creation. He's not some dude 
with long flowy hair and a white robe just trying to love on people and make everyone happy. And poor bloke got strung up by the Romans. So, hey, let's just try to follow him and be loving people after all. He is the agent of creation, the sovereign one. He, and not only is the, he the one that is the agent of creation, he upholds creation. He upholds it. Look at, look at verse 17. So when, again, when we say that he is Lord, he is sovereign over all creation, it means that he's the agent of creation. And secondly, that he's the sustainer of creation in verse 17. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Wow. That is incredible. And not only did Jesus create the universe, he also sustains it. For those of you science people out there, you nerds, you dweebs, I'm going to give you some information that you might love. For those of you that could care less about science, try to hear the heartbeat of what I'm saying about this idea of the earth and how precious our earth is. And if one little thing went off balance, everything would spin into chaos. And, and hopefully as you hear these facts, you'll say, oh my goodness, I didn't realize. Because, you know, you sort of wake up and the sun's out today. Oh, look, it's not raining right now. Put on a jacket. We just, we live in, in this world and we're not realizing everything that's going on, all, all of the, from molecules to atoms, all the things that are happening right now that are, yeah. So you ready? The earth is 146 million kilometers from the sun, even a few million kilometers closer. And we would end up with a runaway greenhouse effect, rising surface temperatures to 400 degrees Celsius. Who wants to live in that? You think it's hot in the bush. Now listen to this. Move the earth a few million kilometers further away from the sun and the carbon, exactly, the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere would freeze, initiating a cycle of ice and cold that would kill all life. Our earth is tilted on an exact angle of 23 and a half degrees off the vertical, which provides the necessary seasonal changes as our north and south poles move closer and then further away from the sun as earth makes its 365 day, six hour, nine minute and 9.54 second orbit. Unlike most of the other planets in our solar system, earth has an almost perfectly circular orbit anymore and the temperature changes would destroy all life. This is fascinating. If the moon did not remain at the exact same distance from the earth, the ocean tides would completely engulf this place twice a day. If the ocean floor merely slipped a few feet deeper, the carbon dioxide and oxygen balance in the earth's atmosphere would be completely upset and no vegetable or animal life could exist on earth. The magnetic field that surrounds the earth is exactly the right strength to stop the solar winds stripping our atmosphere into space. If our atmosphere did thin out, if that happened, many of the meteors that now harmlessly burn up when they hit our atmosphere would constantly bombard us. 
as I'm talking right now. You see, the fact that there is life on earth is a miracle of creation. And the fact that we have not all been wiped out is a miracle of preservation. And this is all our king at work holding all things together. The universe really owes its very coherence to Christ. He quite literally holds all things together. You know, the ancient Greeks used to praise the giant Titan Atlas. If you look up here, maybe you've seen this picture before. He's pictured as standing on the edge of the earth, right? Supporting the sky upon his shoulders. Otherwise, it would fall and crush the world's inhabitants. But when we look at this verse in Colossians and the power that's ascribed to Christ, it makes Atlas dwarf in size, does it not? Jesus is not only the one who suspends the sky above the earth, he orders and preserves the entire universe. One author puts it this way. He said, the creator who contrived the physical laws that govern the universe sustains those principles by the active exercise of his power. If ever he withdrew his powerful hand from the universe, planets would stray from their courses to be incinerated by the sun. Celestial bodies would collide and crumble. People and objects would be flung from the spinning planet into the darkness of outer space. Apart from his powerful intervention, the cosmos would be reduced to chaos. See, not only did Jesus create the universe, he preserves it. Jesus Christ is ruling over it right now. Why do you think, why do you think your heart is still pumping blood throughout your body? Jesus sustains you right now. Because he holds all things together, even you by the power of his word. As the Nicene Creed puts it, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father by whom all things came to be. So he is supreme over all creation. And he is supreme on that basis, you see? On that basis, he is supreme over the new creation. Now, let's go to verse 18. He is supreme over the new creation. And he is the head of the church. No, sorry. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's a whole lot there. Again, we have to fly over this, but you remember at the beginning in verse 15, Christ is the image of the invisible God, right? That's a statement of his relationship to God, to the Father. And now in verse 18, we see his relationship to people. The same one 
who is Lord over all creation is also Lord over his church. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the head and we are the members of his body. And just as Jesus is the source of creation, so here he is the source of the church. You see in verse 18, interesting, interesting vocabulary here. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. You see that? The firstborn. Sounds similar language. You see that again? Almost repeat. The firstborn from the dead. He is head over the church by virtue of his resurrection from the dead. Now, hold on. I don't want to be cheeky, Paul, but he's the firstborn from the dead? What about Lazarus? Didn't Lazarus rise from the dead? That's true. He did die again. So, and not only that, why, why does Jesus' resurrection have particular significance? Well, because, unlike Lazarus, he is verse 19, right? For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything because everything that is God is Jesus. Because nothing of God is absent from Christ. And so his resurrection begins a new humanity. You see, Christ, by his resurrection, has a position of unique lordship and authority. Something entirely new, unique, and significant has broken into this world in the resurrection of Jesus. A new beginning, a new creation has occurred when he broke the bonds of death and stepped alive from the tomb on the third day. He is supreme over the new creation. That's all awesome. But the way that you know that this is not just information, here's the danger, I think, with this. You can hear this stuff and think by proximity that you've appropriated it. Do you know what I mean by that? You have friends in this church. You call this church your church family. And you think just because you're hearing me talk right now that you are in Christ. But the way that you know that this preeminent one is preeminent to you, right, is the fact, how do you know he's supreme, is you go to him for fullness, for full forgiveness, instead of the counterfeits that the world offers. You re recognize that Jesus can never be a mere accessory to your life. You realize that he is the only safe harbor. So when you come to him, you can rest. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus and rest. And when you rest on Christ, you put him first. You don't look for rest where no rest can be found. Not in your work, not in your relationships, not in your behavior modification, not in your doing better and trying harder. 
but only in Christ you find rest for your weary soul. And when you rest on him, you make much of him and you show him to be supreme in your life. Let me ask you, is Jesus first in your life? Is he first in your bank account, in your budgeting? Is he first in your marriage? Is he first in your time and the way that you spend the hours of your day? Is he first in your family? Is he first in your friendships? Is he preeminent in the way you speak? Is he supreme in what you allow your eyes to linger upon? Is he first? Is he supreme in your heart? First in your priorities, is he supreme in your life? If those things, not perfect, but if those things are true and you can say yes, and you're, then you are resting in Christ and you're not just hearing this, but you're actually appropriating this truth. Does that make sense? Huge difference of just hearing it and then appropriating it. Is he preeminent? in your life. There's a whole lot more I could say, but I will close there for this morning because next week we're going to continue going on. Any questions? There's a whole lot, like I said, at your helicopter tour, folks, like us on Facebook. Don't forget to Give us a thumbs up and a good rating on whatever. And, uh, told you it's gonna be a helicopter tour. I was thinking about it. I um, what was I sharing this? Was I sharing it with you, Andrew? I can't remember. I uh, I think I'd like to almost come back to this in a year's time and do like a three-part series, Lord willing. Because um, there's just there's just so much here. I feel like I could just. Some of you had a chance. To me- Did anyone try to memorize this, by the way? Yeah, good on you, Jeanette. Okay, <laughs> two, ver- hey, two verses is great. That, did you do the first one? Great. That's fantastic. I, I find that um, it's, it's, it's really helpful when, to memorize, if, even if you can only, if two verses, is, is, that's great, Jules. Um, because my mind and my emotions, I won't speak for the rest of you, I'll just speak for myself. My mind and my emotions tend to be tainted and sinful. And I know none of you guys, I know it's just me. But I need God's word and I need a proper picture of who Christ is. And I tend to drift and, you know, yeah, someone cheeses me off on the road or whatever. And uh, yeah, but I need this regular, but if I've hidden God's word in my heart and it's really given me a proper picture of who Jesus is. On the other hand of that though too, not only against a fight sin, I think in our, in our sinful proneness, we also do this thing called idolatry where you're like, oh, I don't, I don't bow down to idols. Just listen. You take the creator and try to rip him down and create him in your own image. What feels good to you, what you like. And, and when you memorize a text like this, 
it blows <laughs> water because <laughs> you just go, I, I can't, what am I thinking? And it, it reorients you, I, I reckon, in a good way. So just want to encourage you, friends. Um, yeah, I think just take time, memorize God's words. I'm really encouraged, by the way. Um, many of you brought your Bibles today. That is absolutely fantastic. Do you know the first Sunday I preached here two years ago, one person when I preached had their Bible? One. I noted it. One, it was Rob Wright. Good thing he's the elder, so I hope he's got it. One of you had it. I think that's great. Now, now again, maybe you had it. I didn't see it. Maybe you had electronic, whatever. But I think that is, just encourage you, don't get hung up on, I did, I bring my, okay? I noted it because I wanted to know what kind of church this was. I wasn't quite sure. But I, but I just want to encourage you. I think it's great. And even last week, I love that, Jeanette, sorry, I embarrass you. But I love that when I just said something, Jeanette goes, that's not true. It's right here in the Bible. And I, I, love, I, I was thinking about that interaction this, this last week. So I think it's, I think it's great that you guys, because we want to be like the Bereans. What did the Bereans do? Pa, even Paul the Apostle shows up and he's talking about Christ and they go, hold on a tick. Let's see if what you're saying is true. That's the kind of church I want us to be, to examine the scriptures to see if this is true or not, right? Any, any, you know, if you go to a mosque or if you go to a synagogue, they have a religious text. Ours is the Old and New Testament. That's, that's, that's our authority, right? And so I'm just encouraged by that. Um, that, like when I was sitting in the back and Ralph was reading and everyone's just sitting there following along and I was like, yes, this is really encouraging. So, and, and let me, can I encourage you this as well? Look, if you don't, some of you aren't as familiar with the ESV, like that's okay. Like it's not the elect standard version or some people say in Sydney, the Eastern suburbs version or whatever. It's okay, like bring the NIV, bring the NLT. I don't, I mean, I, it doesn't, there's no perfect translation. I like the ESV because if it's, uh, there's a lot of reasons I like it and I won't, because I'm going on and on about it. But, you know, it just I encourage you to have a Bible with you or use your phone electronically with you. So um, I spend... Just, uh, just so you know, countless hours each week thinking about you guys and girls and ladies and I, on this specific text, right? So five verses on my head, in my head, in my heart, thinking I've got 30 minutes unless I go too long like I'm doing now. I got 30 minutes with you, like, wouldn't it make sense? I've thought about you, prayed for you, and I want to you to see the things that I've been studying and praying. I think God's been showing me as it were as I've been exegeting, studying his text. Wouldn't it make sense that you just say, because of that reason, I'm just going to try to track along with him. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, because I want you to see those things. So, encouraged by that, guys, really. Um, we're now going to shift this time, as it were, to as think about this idea of new creation. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old is gone, the new has come. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. And it's that Christ that moved us from, remember, they just looked out in Colossians here, the main of darkness and the kingdom of his beloved son, right? It's that Christ that we are in. And if we are in him, 
This is a time where we can celebrate that reality together as a church, where we take the bread or cracker in this case as a symbol of his body broken for us and the juice as a symbol of his blood that was shed on the cross in our place. If you'd like to participate in that, the ushers are going to be passing that out. If you are not a Christian, you are not in Christ, please look on and don't just grab that because you feel bad or because you've been doing this for a long time. But if you're confident that your anchor is your harbor, you're resting in Christ, then take the elements and let's celebrate together. So when you do, you go over how to do it. Yes, great. So do that, all that stuff now and hold the elements together and we'll, we'll take them as a church.